So we're in a series on prayer. Um, last week, we talked about how courage and compassion flow out of those who pray. The week before that, we talked about being known by God in prayer. And the first talk the week before that was on prayer and the Trinity. Today, we're talking about prayer and the Father. To be followed next week by prayer and the Son, and the following week by the Holy Spirit. If you're wondering why we're separating them like that, then please go back and listen to Eric's sermon on prayer and the Trinity, because it's a lot, and it's a lot to get into today, and I, I don't want to have to do it. It's a whole sermon. Um, so we're going to start today uh, talking about the glory of the Father, um, His desire for us, and His desire for restoration, and how that works, and then we're going to follow that up with some obstacles that we experience when we pray. So, we're going to talk about the glory of the Lord, glory of God. So, really quick, give me some ways to describe the glory of God. Just some words. Majestic. Majestic. Bright. 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 Tangible for us. Glorious. Glorious. Scary. Scary. actually really hard to describe the glory of God. When we read experiences, those who experienced the glory of God in the Bible have really complicated and confusing descriptions of their, version, of their visions and interactions with God. Um, like really, I mean, the one I didn't hear is the weight of glory, right? The weight of I don't know if someone said it, but the weight like of glory. The what? That seemed like cheating. That seemed like cheating. Yeah. So the weight of glory. And it's, I mean, describing glory, it's almost like trying to describe colors to a blind person or music to someone who's deaf. We have little to no context. Um, and we really don't have the words to properly describe the glory of God. I mean, you read these descriptions and they're out there. Very confusing stuff. So I settled on three descriptors that I'd like to use tonight um, for the glory of God. The first is, the glory of God is beautiful. I'm going to start um, in Ezekiel 1, 25 to 28. Um, if you want to turn there... Go ahead, I'm going to be moving relatively quickly through these. But we're going to sit in this one for a minute. So Ezekiel 1, 25 to 28. It says, Then there came a voice from above the vault over their heads as they stood with lowered wings. Above the vault over their heads was what looked like a throne of lapis lazuli, which, as I was told by my geologist 
wife, um, is a blue stone that's opaque. An opaque blue stone. Um, and high above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire, and that from there down he looked like fire, and brilliant light surrounded him. Like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God, of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell face down, and I heard the voice of one speaking. So there's all these, I mean, really, the first thing that stands out to me when I try to sit and close my eyes and imagine this thing is just the beauty of what is being represented. Like, he says, uh, like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day. Like, we in the desert, we know the beauty of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day because they don't happen very often. They're very exciting. They're really, really fun to look at. I think I kind of would hate to live somewhere. I mean, I would like to live somewhere where it rained more, maybe. But I, you know, on some level, it'd be hard, because you wouldn't get to uh, really experience the, the rarity and the beauty of an event like a rainbow clouds on a rainy day. The second descriptor of the glory of God that I want to use, it was already shouted out tonight, is bright. The glory of God is bright. It is radiant. And you see it in this passage in Ezekiel. He says, it looked like glowing metal, uh, full of fire. He looked like fire and brilliant light. And there was a radiance around him. It's bright. So bright that like, you close your eyes and you imagine you're in a dark room and all the lights are off and you have your eyes closed and someone bangs the door open um, and it opens up to bright sunlight. And you open your eyes and there's someone standing in the doorway and it's backlit, you can't tell who they are, it's a little bit frightening, but your eyes are like hit by this powerful, powerful light that you do not know, that you're not used to, that you've You've grown accustomed to the darkness, and here's this bright, bright light. And the only difference, really, is the fact that the light isn't, that the Lord isn't backlit. The light actually emanates from Him. Which, and you see this in a lot, a lot of the descriptions, this description of light. Um, so much so that, like, Moses, when he went into the presence of God, and he came out, his face was radiant, and they actually had to cover it because they were scared of it. The third descriptor that I want to use for the glory of God, and I think for the purposes of what we're talking about tonight, this is kind of the most important one, is the glory of God is unapproachable. In Isaiah 6, in the calling of Isaiah, it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, 
With two, they covered their feet, and with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, Isaiah. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah is so confronted by the glory of God that he is unable, he he thinks immediately, his immediate thought is, I am going to die. I am unclean. I am sinful. Here's this bright light, this beautiful experience. Here's the glory of God, and I should not be here because I am an unclean man. This is the glory of God. The result of our sin is that we are unable to approach the throne. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, they would walk and talk side by side with the Lord. But when they sinned, what was the first thing they went and did? They hid. They went and hid. Because they couldn't be, and they knew, they felt that shame, they knew that they had done wrong, they couldn't be in the presence of God in the same way. This is the consequence of sin. In the presence of the glory of God, we become aware of the impact of our sin. But that's the relationship that God desires. That's prayer, is walking and talking with God in the garden. We often think, this is something that I think we experience a lot, Uh, We often think that God is different now. That the God of the Old Testament is not the God today. Come on, Mark. Thank you. We often think that God is different now. That's the God of the Old Testament, this bright thing, this bright, beautiful thing. And that the God today is just, you know, loving and and gracious and, you know, everything's going to be okay. But it's, it's not. He is the same beautiful, terrible, bright, brilliant, majestic, glorious God. That God that Isaiah was before when he looked at the brilliance and the beauty of God, that's the God today. And Isaiah's response, Isaiah, a prophet, the man of God, his response was to say, woe is me, I'm going to die. This is... The glory of God is unapproachable. But when when we look at Adam and Eve, in the garden. That's the relationship that God wants with us. We have to look at the story that is told in the Bible is one of redemption, 
restoration, and relationship. Again and again, God reveals his longing to have his people reunited with him. He longs for that walk in the garden with Adam and Eve, unashamed of their brokenness. Because they weren't broken. So we're going to read Hosea 2. We're going to look at an example of this. An example of what God longs. Longs for. Hosea 2, 14 to 23. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. He's talking about Israel. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up from Egypt. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. I will remove the names of the veils from her lips. No longer will their names be invoked. In that day, I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, the birds in the sky, and the creatures that move along the ground. Bow and sword and battle I will abolish from the land so that all may lie down in safety. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness, you, and you will acknowledge the Lord. In that day I will respond, declares the Lord. I will respond to the skies, and they will respond to the earth, and the earth will respond to the grain, the new wine, and the olive oil, and they will respond to Jezreel. I will plant for her, I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I called, not my loved one. I will say to those called, not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. So God, the bright, beautiful, unapproachable glory of God. This is what God's desire is to have that relationship restored. So what does this mean for us? Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we, were, we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Not to step on the toes of next week. <laughs> but, it <is> through, <laughs> but it is through Jesus that we can approach the throne. It is through Jesus that we can go into that presence without crying out, Woe is me. It is through Jesus that we have been given new identity as children of God. John 1, John 1, 12 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Romans 8, 15, The Spirit 
your received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit received, you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Galatians 4, 6. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father is a sacred term. It's a term of endearment. It's a term that was not used in Jesus' time until Jesus used it to describe his father. This part of the reason they were so angry with him was because of that closeness that he declared his relationship to the father. It means dad or daddy. And we talked a couple weeks ago about the term of endearment, like Eric had a shout out what we use for our, our fathers. This is the, it's the closeness of relationship. It's because of this new identity, again, that we can approach the throne without crying out, what was me? Growing up, my parents' room was a really special place that I was not allowed to go into. Um, but I went into my parents' room for three reasons. The first reason was to get something for them or to ask them for something. Uh, the second uh, is if I was getting spanking. <laughs> my dad would send us into his room, we'd have to sit down on his bed and he would leave us there in our agony for a while. And then he'd come back and we were bawling because we knew we were getting spanked. Um, and the third reason uh, is if it was like the middle of the night and I couldn't sleep or I was scared, you know, have a nightmare and a kid comes into the room and I would go in and my dad would say, you're fine, go back to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Most of <laughs> But it's this closeness, it's this relationship that's available to us. One where that glorious, awesome, powerful God is also our close, loving Father. Um, Patty Seepin likes to talk about the children of God as a shattered mirror that reflects God's image. Each piece is being picked up by God and polished and cleaned and put back in the frame to reflect His glory to the world around it. And this is so the question we have to ask is, you know, how does our time in prayer with Abba Father help us reflect the glory when we go back out into the world? So this is the journey that we're on. Prayer to God that is at one time glorious and close and on the throne and present with us. So what so what goes wrong? I mean, if that's the truth, that's what's true, that there's a glorious God, His presence is powerful, and we have been granted um, permission to enter into that presence. But what stops us from entering into that relationship? That's where I want to talk. We have, I have four obstacles that we experience. We've been talking about going into our rooms and closing our door and spending time alone in prayer with God. These are the four obstacles, I think, that are really stop us from entering into that relationship with God the Father. First, 
uh, is fear. We lived in a small college town in Michigan, um, Spring Arbor College, Spring Arbor, Michigan. And they had the college had a pool, so it was basically like the Y for us. And, uh, my dad would take me there, and he'd put me up on the edge of the pool, and he'd get in the shallow end, and he'd say, jump to me. And I would have to jump into the pool, and then my dad would back up a little bit, and I'd have to swim to him. And as I got closer, he'd back up a little more, and I'd have to swim to him more. And it was learning to swim, you know, flailing arms around, and trying to figure out how everything works. When we talked about prayer and the Trinity, we talked about um, hard things. Um, hard things that we experience in prayer. I want to reflect some of those that we said. Um, we don't know what to do. Uh, we don't know what to say. Our mind wanders. We feel like we're talking to ourselves. We don't know where to start. We feel like we're saying the same thing over and over. We're not sure if we're being heard. We get sparse feedback. And we're not sure if what we are hearing is from God. Jumping into prayer, going into that back room, is like jumping into that pool. God's standing right there. He's enjoying us. He's teaching us. But it feels like we're drowning. It feels like we don't know what we're doing. Our arms are flailing everywhere. and We're sinking around. And the second thing that I think goes really closely that I want to follow it up with really quickly is um, we feel like we need to get it right. And again, from a couple weeks ago, some of the things we said, we're not sure if we're doing it right. Uh, we feel like it's a wish list for Santa. Um, and really, is it even a good thing to pray for? I separated these as two different Obstacles, but they're really closely related. You know, God knows you can't swim, but He's invited you into the pool and He's, he's not going to let you drown. You have fears. I have fears. I feel like we need to get it right. And even if you don't feel like we need to get it right, you probably connect with some of these ideas of it's too much. What I'm asking for is too much. What I'm asking for is too little. Um, I'm asking for too much about other people and not enough about myself. I'm asking too much about myself and not enough about other people. We have Abba Father and grace, and we can approach the throne confidently. We've been given permission to go before God and to say, I'm scared. Uh, I can't fall asleep. I can't swim. I'm drowning. These shouldn't be obstacles. They are. I'm not saying they aren't. They shouldn't be obstacles. They really should be talking points. When you go in to pray, this is what we should, part of what we should be talking about is, God, I'm afraid that you aren't there. I'm afraid that what I'm saying isn't important. It's not what you want from me. I'm afraid of asking too much. I'm afraid of not getting it right. 
The third obstacle in prayer to the Father um, really is our own fathers. When I was in middle school and high school, um, and a lot later in college, um, I have ADD, and uh, I don't do homework well. It's really hard for me to do homework. Um, and I would get distracted, I wouldn't do my homework, and it would pile up on me. My dad, my three older siblings are all very, very successful with school. And they perform really well. And my parents would ask me how I was doing in school, and I would say, oh, I'm doing great. <laughs> doing really good. And meanwhile, I knew in my folder I had like 15 assignments to do. And there's this anxiety and this pressure that I felt, and a shame at not getting it right and not performing up to a certain level. And this really impacts my relationship with God. When I go in to pray, I talk a lot about the things that I'm excited about. I talk about music. I spent a lot of time this week talking about this, being here. Um, I spend a lot of time talking about the people around me my family, my wife, all of you. Um, the thing that I don't spend a lot of time talking about uh, is the things that I'm really struggling with, which really just doesn't make any sense. Because that's what I really should be talking to God about, is the things that I struggle with. But our experiences with our fathers are huge obstacles a lot of times for the way we interact with God the Father, the way we enter into relationship with Him. The fourth obstacle um, is our own expectations. We expect that when we start to pray, everything will get immediately better. That we will feel better, or that we will hear God's voice and when we don't, we are discouraged. Yeah, I mean, it's really like, what do we think is going to happen? We enter into a relationship where we don't have a relationship, and we expect immediately, like these immediate experiences that we aren't even really ready for. I'm not going to go swim in the ocean, and I can't swim in the shallow with the college pool. But... I want to read from a book uh, by Calvin Miller. It's called The Table of Inwardness. Uh, it's a short paragraph. It says, Many years ago, someone gave me an antique wooden dynamite box made in the 19th century. For years, I prized that box. It was meticulously constructed with mitered corners and bore an ominous warning printed in bold red and black letters, Dangerous Dynamite. At one time, the box had indeed been dangerous. Its contents had to be handled gently. But the last time I saw it, the box was filled with common paraphernalia that could be found in any workroom. There's some force in the universe that doesn't like empty boxes. So when the emptiness is not filled by careful design, it becomes a catch-all. The box is a parable for Christians in our time. Designed to bear the power of God, we are haphazardly filled 
with the trivia of our world. We expect that when we begin to pray, everything will immediately be put right. But instead, the journey is like this box. Together with God, we gaze in sadness at what the box is filled with. And he, the Father, slowly says, can I have this? And he takes it out of the box and replaces it with some of himself. Because as opposed to Eastern ideas of prayer, we do not meditate or retreat simply to be empty, but rather to be filled with the things of God. So, this week, when you go into your room, close the door behind you, and spend time with God the Father, be willing to be uncomfortable. If you're not uncomfortable, you probably not touched on the right things. Um, revel in the glory of God. Take joy in the fact that you get to be in the presence of a glorious, powerful God. And speak your fears to Abba Father, who longs to be in relationship with you. Speak your fears. Speak the ways you feel like you need to get it right. And be willing to wait on the Lord. Be willing to sit and to set aside the expectations that you have for what it's going to be like. Um, what time do we have? Six to eight. Let's. Dear Lord, Abba Father, um, we come into your presence, your glorious presence, and we long to sit with you and to experience your love. Teach us more about your beauty. Reveal to us your presence. And as we sit patiently, Give us patience um, and give us courage to speak the things that we are afraid of. We love you, Lord.